Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a little bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, The Longhorn Republic, on Instagram under the same name. You can also shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's still on cloud nine from Saturday's basketball game, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, I'm not a, a, I told you so kind of guy. Never have been always will be. Uh, if you, Liar. uh, <laughs> yeah, if you did not, uh, check out the rock chalk podcast, uh, that we retweeted from our media. And if you follow my personal social medias, um, went on the into enemy territory, predicted this predicted a Texas win. I'll talk into the specifics of why. I will only slightly be tooting and beeping my own horn. Mostly will be tooting and beeping the team's horn. But, uh, man, it is a that was a wild day in general. Emotions swinging all over the place and the basketball doing that. It just felt surreal. I'm still on a weird high slash like non-drug-induced trip. Uh, it, it feels It feels utterly surreal the past, I don't know. 72 plus hours uh we are recording this monday night uh we we went from ending 2020 into 2021 and it's been it's been wild and not necessarily in a bad way like 2020 was wild in in, in a tough and not necessarily easy way this is just wild in general gerald how you living right now you know, I was driving back from, from Texas to Oklahoma. My parents and I both did that thing where you quarantine for 14 days and got to create your own little quarantine bubble so my son could see his parents for at least one point in the year of 2020. And I was driving back, and, you know, I'm not normally like a be on the phone while you're on the highway kind of guy, but my phone started blowing up. <laughs> and the first blow up was. Texas, like, oh, Tom Herman. The second blow up was, hey, are you watching the Kansas game? And then the third blow up was, oh, Sark was hired. And so like, and then like, this was like the weirdest sports weekend for me ever, because then on Sunday, like the Dolphins completely crapped the bed for a playoff spot, but then they got the number three pick in the draft because of a weird, like back and forth. Like I've never been thankful for Ryan Tannehill ever before and will never be again because he was not great with the Dolphins. And then obviously he's an Aggie. So it's been a weird weekend for me, Kyle. I'm finally getting settled in. You know, we're we're getting the getting the uh, the grandkid, uh, or I guess my son, uh, ungrandparentified. Like you kind of have a detox period after you come back from the grandparents' house. So it's just been just been a weird couple of days. But we're here to talk about one of the biggest news weekends that I can remember in a very long time for the Texas Longhorns. Um, we're going to start off with the basketball game, the massive win over the Kansas Jayhawks. We'll then talk about in our second segment today the uh, coaching changes on the football team. Tom Herman has been let go and replaced with uh, former USC and Washington head coach, Alabama offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian. And then we'll close the show out with some down the 40 and bang the drum. So there was some hope going into the game. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. 
I was I, I thought Texas had a shot in this, right? Kansas is Kansas, and Kansas basketball is Kansas basketball. And I thought Texas had a shot in this. I did not expect a 30-point win, 25-point win, right? It, it was like, and maybe they were more well-rested because they hadn't played a game in basically two weeks, um, but they scored first and literally never looked back. Like, they scored first, never looked back, shot lights out in the second half um, while Kansas was not great in either half of the game, but to put how big this game in context and why we put this as the the, the A slot rather than the, the coaching news is that this is the largest home defeat that Bill Self has had while coaching the Kansas Jayhawks. It's actually only the second time Texas has won in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, it's the largest margin of victory over Kansas. Uh, so winning, it's the high, the win over the highest ranked opponent since 2016 when they beat those filthy Sooners, um, and it's their. Uh, Highest ranked road win uh, since beating, again, number two Kansas in 2011. So at least uh, when it happens, it's a, it's a big deal. But like Texas, we knew they were good, right? Like the, the statistics, Ken Palm, all of it, everything you look at says Texas is going to be a pretty solid team. We're like, you know, that you know, you come out of the big 12 and you know, you're one of the top four teams and you'll be, you'll be great for the tournament. The team that showed up on Saturday, and specifically, I think how they limited Kansas makes me really excited for the rest of this year. Yeah, this this was an A game, right? We say that about football, about basketball. We've wanted to see both of those teams play their A game. This was Texas basketball with the talent on that roster, with the you know amount of returning minutes we talked about. This was apex Texas basketball at its best, executing, doing the things it can do, and doing them well, right? And and look, there is probably, if this is an A game, there is probably still an A-plus game. And we'll talk about some of the players who didn't necessarily have their best game. There's not a lot, actually. Um, and, and, and some of the little tweaks, but there's that's so little. I'm literally nitpicking. It's, it is the most, um, I hate the expression, but it is the most literal uh, use of the expression pimples on a prom queen. This was a beauty, this was uh, as good a Texas basketball game as Texas has played since TJ Ford. Um, it, it, it's as good a Texas basketball game as, as I've seen start to finish, you know, in in certainly the Shaka era. Um, it, it may be as good of a road performance for Texas basketball as they've ever had, right? Um there's jokes to be had about how, you know, the, the, the attendance numbers at the drum have prepared Texas specifically for COVID era basketball's reduced fans. But um, I, I'll just say uh, the the fog was loud enough that at every correct call the refs made that was so very obvious that you still heard loud booing from the overly obnoxious Kansas fans, worst, uh, uh, least, I would say, objective fans in the nation. Um, but it, look, they, nothing, nothing got in the way of them completing they had a good first half okay can they replicate that can they keep their foot on the gas oh my gosh next level they made the halftime adjustments that's coaching that's shaka that's players buying in doing what 
the coaching staff is telling them to do. I mean, at every level, at every box you can check, and we're going to spend a minute praising some people, but just I want to start there. This was a perfect game, or excuse me, this was an almost perfect game, and this was um, this checked every box that we needed to see to say, you know, we kind of said this is a Sweet 16 team, ah, but we ah, do we do we believe it? Do we feel it? There's no reason this is not a Final Four team if they can make that a consistent way that they attack and, and approach and execute uh, the game. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. They took a tech, a Kansas team that has one of the hardest strengths of schedule in the country has beaten some really good teams already. Maybe not blown them out, but has beaten good teams. Like there's no doubt at the beginning of the season, I questioned whether Kansas was going to be as good as they were this year, if they were going to have a drop off. Um, and I think Kansas answered that they are very good. Um, and I think Texas just said, eh, you might be good, but we distance ourselves from everyone else. It's Baylor and Texas and then the rest of the Big 12. And that's huge. No one, I don't think, really expected that. And we have still a lot of season to play. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But enjoy it, folks. We are putting this at the top because we're celebrating the on-court, on-field, actual results performance. We'll talk about football and what we think can happen. But this is it. Texas hired a coach, Shaka Smart. They envisioned this game. They got it. Yeah, and, and I think you said it perfectly. This is what... Texas fans were hoping this is what the Texas admin was hoping when they when they hired Shaka all those years ago and and we talked about it preseason that this was easily the most talented group that Shaka has had that this is easily probably the most high upside group Shaka has if there was ever going to be a year for Shaka to turn the corner it was going to be this year and we said that about the football team and it didn't happen and we said that about the basketball team, and it seems to, at least for now, be on the horizon. It, again, one win doesn't a season make, but if they can if they can hit even 80% of this for most of the Big 12 season, they've got a shot to win a conference championship. And again, that's not to say that they won't lose games. It's not to say that they won't have the hiccup. It's not to say that they won't. This is COVID year. So again, Courtney Ramey comes in contact with somebody who has contact tracing. You know, there, there are things that will happen, right? We can't expect perfection. But the fact that, again, going into fog, and even without fans, the officiating at fog was questionable. Let's just be real about it. Um, but going into fog, and, like, nobody beats Bill Self. Like, go back and watch the game or watch the memes or whatever, but, like, dude was despondent, absolutely beside himself. And that feels good. We have not been able to do that or see that under Shaka Smart. And really, again, nobody has d- really done that to Bill Self ever. Like, I, I, don't re- I don't remember seeing that man ever that frustrated. That When you look at him, he looks like a man who has tried everything he knows to do and nothing is working. He ran his, hand, his ha- hands through his own hair and said, why do you follicles not possess what Shaka does on the other side of this court? Why can you not conjure the magic that Shaka's beautiful, majestic curls have have conjured for for the for the Longhorns. He wanted to rip his own hair out as he saw how inferior it was. If Shaka keeps the long hair and Bill Self shaves his head, <laughs> what'll happen in Austin? Now you're getting into some voodoo. That's uh, that's next <laughs> you level. Know what? We, we got to keep it mystic a little bit. Um, but the the players showed up, right? The the players showed up. Five players. Scored in double figures, four starters. Um, uh, GB3 is the one that did not make it, but that's okay. That's okay. He's he's young. He's got some. But, but Courtney Ramey was the man. 
on Saturday. 18 points, 7 of 11 from the floor, 3 of 5 from beyond the arc. Andrew Jones, the man, the myth, the legend himself, chipped in 14-7 and 3 assists. Matt Coleman, 13 points, 6 boards, 6 assists. Kai Jones with 12 points and 24 minutes off the bench, uh, 4 of 7 from the floor, great showing from him. And then Jericho Sims chipped in the double-double that GB3 usually does, 11 points and a massive 12 boards from Sims, who's continuing to look like um, just an incredible upside player for Texas. Like, this was... As good, can you imagine if Greg Brown played as well as he normally does in this game? How bad it could have gotten for uh, for Kansas? Yeah, and, and and that's what I'm saying. That's why I think there is an A plus version of this. Even right, we didn't get a single uh, ham sandwich because Royce Ham was in the COVID protocol, and uh, and Greg Greg Brown did not have his best game. You know, of his obviously super talented freshman uh, freshman year. Um, there is a, a, a level where he's com- contributing more and, and they maybe can go even higher, which is scary to say. The thing I'll say about Sims, and this is where I love saying I told you so, um, the, the, the multiple things that I predicted on the podcast was that Texas's team defense would be the thing that propelled them to victory for their second ever in, in Allen Fieldhouse, that Jericho Sims would be the surprise X factor that no one was talking about, um, and uh, and that we weren't going to rely heavily on the freshman Brown. We were actually going to rely on our more senior guards because the, their host wanted to talk about Greg Brown and how he was kind of the only X-factor player that Texas had, according to Ken Palm, is like points per minute on the floor and some of those factors. Um, but, I mean, you, you saw that. He, he, was, he, was, he was not the game changer they needed to be. I actually think Matt Coleman was the best player on the court for uh, the Longhorns and Courtney Ramey, you know, right behind him. But uh, Jericho Sims is 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 my my dark horse that I was absolutely correct about. And you know where I pulled that off of the the stat that I, we talked about in our season preview against Kansas last year, Gerald. He averaged eighteen and a half points and seven and a half rebounds and a block and a half. And uh, in the game immediately following Kansas last year, he averaged five points, three rebounds, and zero blocks in two games following it. So he must just throw so much heart and energy and soul into, you know, trying to single-handedly beat the Jayhawks. And and I'm not saying he single-handedly did it, but it worked out. I mean, the, one of the biggest things in this game, right? A Texas three-point shooting, of course. Getting to the line and, and converting there was good. Um, they pulled down 72% of their defensive rebounding opportunities. That's big. They, they limited Kansas to, you know, way under their season average of 35% offensive rebounding percentage. So Texas grabbing defensive rebounds and limiting Kansas to a single possession game. And then the other thing that I said, team defense, and then specifically ha- harassing the three-point line was my prediction. Uh, Texas is one of the best in the country at n- at uh, fewest assists on made baskets allowed. Um, they just, like, don't let you get them out of rotation and kick to the open guy for the the easy open three. Kansas didn't shoot remarkably and they've been shooting really, really well this season, but it was because they didn't get easy open looks. Texas had good rotation. Their team defense was great. Even without coach Kameka Hepa uh, shouting extra coaching tips on the sideline, um, Texas wasn't ever found out. They had good help on the interior. They limited the shooters outside, got a hand in the face, didn't give them just super easy contested, you know, standing, no, no, no movement threes. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's really the game. Like I, I, I 
predicted it all and I still didn't believe it as I watched it um, but I, I think you have to give Jericho Sims a ton of credit Kansas tried to go uh, like what they call their five guard they have a, a, a guy who's probably a small forward but can be listed as a guard at the five um, and, and and tried to you know see if they could get Texas and, and they Texas just said no nah, it's fine our bigs are athletic enough we'll still beat you with that too Kansas just had no answer um, Kai Jones was just the big who was too athletic. He could take their smaller guys off the dribble or hit the three as a seven footer. Jericho Sims was unmovable. And like I said, without the kind of beef of ham, um, pun intended, uh, you know, we, we still dominated inside and that's just an incredible development. That's what we hoped from Texas. And I, I think one of the guys you talked about, obviously, Ramey Coleman Jones. That's our three guards. You talked about Kai Jones coming in. Talked about Greg Brown. We know he can be even better. Jericho Sims, the guy that we didn't talk about necessarily that probably deserves a lot of talk is is Stretch, is Donovan Williams, a guy who came in and soaked up some of those ham minutes. Probably a big reason, you know, that we'll talk about a certain player transferring is because as he's fully recovering from his injury of last year is, is, is kind of securing his place in the rotation and did a lot of things. He shot the three, played really good defense, blocked some shots, just got his hands all over, uh, you know, the ball and, in the, in the opponents, uh, trying to get shots up, just really did some good things at different positions. And I thought just showed to be a really good glue guy who can kind of plug and play in any of Texas's lineups. And I feel like Texas is starting to find their kind of, I don't know if it's their murder ball lineup, but their their best rotation to get the best guys together at the best times, right? They're starting to see it, and that's that's exciting. And I think the world is starting to see it, Kyle. So with this win, Texas moves up to number four. Count them, one, two, three, four in the AP Amazing. poll. So Texas riding high. It's a very small number next to their name. They've got a couple of games on the slate. They've got a Tuesday game against Iowa State that we will uh, be back with you on Thursday to talk about. And then they'll also uh, take on West Virginia at West Virginia on Saturday. And we'll obviously talk about that on next week's Tuesday show. But exciting times on the hardwood for the Longhorns. So the other half of the craziest Saturday in recent memory, uh, early on Saturday, news began to circulate that Texas was parting ways with head coach Tom Herman. Later that afternoon, Texas confirmed via a statement from both the school and Chris Del Conte. The school said, while we have made measured progress during the past several years under Tom Herman's leadership, Chris has recommended to the university president, Jay Hartzell, that UT make a coaching change to get us back on track to achieving our ambitious Goals. President Hartzell and the chair of our board of regents concur with the recommendation and have approved the change. We thank Coach Herman for his service and dedication to our student athletes, our program, and our university. Texas was coming off back-to-back blowout wins. Um, they did have a disappointing conference run. This was kind of the year for Texas, and they couldn't turn the corner. Tom Herman, in his time at the University of Texas, was 32-18, and 22-13 uh, in Big 12 play. Best conference Finish was in 2018, the only 10-win season under Herman when they finished second to OU after that uh, exciting game in the Cotton Bowl. But um, they got four bowl wins, Missouri, Georgia, Utah, and then the most recent one against Colorado. Tom Herman released a statement Monday evening. I'm extremely thankful for the opportunity to have been the coach of the University of Texas. It has been a great honor, and as an alumnus, Texas will always hold a special place in my heart. I also want to thank the university players that I've been blessed to coach. You have represented the university with dignity, and I've given your all in an effort to make your program better. To the coaches and staff who have poured their heart and soul into the program, my appreciation has no bounds. 
Your efforts have been the backbone of our success. Finally, my family and I wish nothing but success and happiness to the Longhorn Nation in the future. So a clean break from Tom Herman. And so we'll pause there and and we'll we have to talk about the four years under Tom Herman. And as we look back on the Tom Herman era at Texas, Kyle, like what what's your What's your reflection? What's your postmortem? What's your eulogy? Like, where are you thinking? What do you think about when you look back on the four years under Tom Herman? What could have been? Um, what what almost was? Uh, I, I I don't think he was that far off, right? When you think about this season and five points in regulation being the difference between a, a you know a win an un, unbeaten season and a three loss season, right? That's that's tough. You think about the you know comebacks that failed in the fourth quarter Oklahoma State a couple years ago quarterback may have been concussed but otherwise um the the almost games you know there's some good wins in there for sure um but just you know you think about the maybe overlooking some people the Maryland openers in consecutive years you you just think about the butterfly effect of a few things being different right on the field, I mean, um, if if a couple plays, if if you could you could probably pick fewer than ten plays and and change the outcome of those ten plays, and Tom Herman is the coach of the University of Texas. However, I don't think that him not being the coach is one hundred percent to do with the on-field results, right? You, we, we've talked a lot this year. You could extrapolate this out and pretty much call it a 10-win season if you count, you know, LSU, which absolutely would have been Kansas and and South Florida as, as additional wins this year. Um, okay, you don't, you don't fire a coach over the equivalent of a 10-win season unless there's something else, right? And I think Tom Herman talked a lot about alignment. He talked a lot about culture. He's a very intelligent guy. And I think he had a vision in his mind for how he was going to build that culture in Austin, at Texas, on the 40 acres, at DKR, what it was going to be. To his credit, I don't think he ever got to realize that. I just don't think, you know, there are so many factors. Anyone who's ever tried to create something, if you've tried to start a business, if you've tried to build something. When you draw it and your blueprint looks great, that's one thing. But when you go out in the world and you try to do it, you are going to meet challenges. You're going to have to do some things that weren't necessarily in your blueprint. You're going to have some unforeseen um, adversity. You're going to have some bad luck. You're going to have some things not go your way. And how you respond to those and really the character that you show as you respond to those affects your success. And I think in Tom Herman's case that Teams or fans, alumni, people could have maybe stomached one more year and given a chance, even though they wanted more success and they expected more success. And this felt like a year for success and it didn't completely come. It maybe could have stomached it, had some of the off the field things, whether it be recruiting, whether it be relations with, with you know boosters and notable alums and important power brokers and players and parents and families and, and, and just the, the extended Longhorn community. He could maybe still be coaching next year with a chance. And I'm not saying the seat wouldn't be hot, but there could be a chance he's still the coach. I think the fact that he is no longer the coach of the University of Texas Longhorns is something that Tom Herman will think a lot about, will ruminate on. And I fully expect him to be a successful coach in the future, that this will cause some growth in him, and he will probably be a dangerous opponent in the future if he learns the lessons that he the he he failed to like fully realize, internalize, and grow from during his time in Austin. It's such a weird legacy 
for Tom Herman because at most other schools, Tom Herman has a successful run. He's got a 10-win season under his belt. He's got 4-0 and in bowl games. He's got some marquee wins that he can really chalk up under his belt. At most other schools that don't have the level of expectation that Texas has, Tom Herman's probably a pretty decent coach. Tom Herman at Iowa State, if he if he was the head coach at <laughs> Iowa State, right, uh, just to use an easy comparison, right, probably a fairly successful guy, right? Tom Herman at... Michigan State, probably fairly successful, right? Like both of those schools are building statues. Let's right? be honest. <laughs> I mean, he had a top, he had a top ten Georgia finish. Like, don't don't forget that, right? Yeah. Like so, but when it comes to University of Texas, I think there's this there's this level of you want to be the elite team, and and you know I've I said this in, in a couple of different avenues, but if Tom Herman has this season, but the recruiting drop off doesn't happen, I think he's around another year. If if you know, Texas has another top three class. There are arguments to be made that maybe Tom Herman is still around. Now, I don't know if that's the right or wrong choice, whatever. But for me, when you can no longer sell recruits on the vision of the future, then then the, the chorus is falling out. And so I think that's what we saw with Tom Herman. And again, I think Tom Herman had some really incredible moments. I think, argue with me if you want, but I think the way that he let his players take center stage this offseason, right, wrong, or indifferent, I think he... Uh, much like Shaka Smart wanted these young men to be and grow and develop into young into men, and that is something that I will always applaud. Now I've talked about on this podcast. There's some leadership and maturity with Tom Herman. It feels like he gets involved in some decision it, some decisions he shouldn't. I feel like there were some times where he probably should have told his running backs coach, maybe it's not time to rotate. He should have gotten in Yursich's ear about all these all the offensive choices, and maybe vice versa. I don't know, but there was something missing. And and I had a really good talk with with one of our really good friends who is an A and M grad, and you know whatever it's fine but you know there's this like it factor right there's there's just this thing that separates the good coaches from the elite coaches there's this thing and some guys have it some guys don't and there are some guys that will be really really good coaches on moderately large stages and I think that's Tom Herman not everybody's gonna be Nick Saban but when you're at Texas and you look at the types of moves that Texas is trying to make that's the standard that they've set. And I think that's why they made the move that they did and hired Steve Sarkeesian from Alabama, who's the who's offensive coordinator. It looked and appeared, if you read the right tea leaves, that he was probably being groomed to be Nick Saban's successor. That's kind of the wave of the future. You saw it happen at OU. You saw it happen at Ohio State. And so it looked like maybe that would be that, that seamless handoff. And so when you look at the hire, shortly after the tournament stuff came out, 247 Sports reported that Sark was going to be the next head coach. The school officially announced it later that afternoon. Sark has a long coaching career, QB coach for USC, the Raiders, uh, offensive coordinator at USC and Alabama, head coach at Washington and USC. Um, he's battled some personal demons, and that's actually why he uh, separated from USC back uh, about five, four or five years ago. Um, but... It seems like he's gotten his uh, gotten the support system in place and, and is back uh, moving in the right direction. And so, when you look at the hiring of Steve Sarkeesian, Kyle, like what what's your thoughts as you look at the hiring where Texas is at? What's on camp? What's on campus currently? Like where where's your head at? Let me say this real quick. Um, there's there's a lot of 
I think, conversation around the fact of hiring Sarkeesian puts us right back where we were when we hired Texas. It really, going all the way back to Daryl Roy, and I talked about this in my Bang the Drum a couple years ago, um, Texas has pretty much hired, with, with, a, with only a few exceptions, a pretty similar you know style of coach. Couple years head coaching experience. Obviously, Sarkeesian is coming directly from an OC, um, in, but does have head coaching experience big time. In fact, USC is is you know one of the biggest jobs still in the country. Take that aside, but um, it, they've hired this guy with a lot of upside with. Uh, you know, a lot of national interest as, as an up and comer. That's what, that's what Tom Herman was. Honestly, that's what Charlie strong was. Um, Mac Brown probably, you know, somewhat established by comparison, but, uh, was, was kind of a, a hot, uh, thing based on what he'd done at North Carolina. I mean, Daryl Royal was an unproven for the most part head coach, um, when, when he was brought in. So it, it's not really incredibly different from the Texas playbook, uh, where I talked about Tom Herman and, maybe getting more time to 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 see his his vision play out um i think a lot of that is the off-field stuff mac brown was the ultimate master of that we will yet to see you know what sarkeesian can do with that from his opening uh press conference as any indication he seems to get it and get the expectation of that he seems to understand the pressure cooker that texas is he, he understands the expectation he understands what's needed what you have to do outside of just coach football, because he came from Alabama where there's a lot of that too. And he saw, you know, Nick Saban master that. So I, I think he's going to get it right. It, I almost feel like being the head coach at USC and being in the Alabama, you know, where they literally are going deep about who the 17th guy in the draft class is, if it should be this four star, or this four star and your, your message board fans are ripping you to shreds over it. Right. Like deep level scrutiny. Like those two things are pretty, um, as much as U of H has some Texas to it and, uh, coming from Florida and then taking a Louisville Heisman candidate, uh, quarterback run, um, gives you some, I, I, I don't think you're going to get a better prep for the, the specific ridiculousness of Texas expectations than being the head coach at USC and being, you know, directly the the man next to the man, um, in Alabama, right? So I think he is relatively prepped. I think he is equipped. Um, let me say this. I, the thing that I hope that he continues of Herman's the most, the thing that Herman most excelled at was this offseason, what he did handling some of the off the field, just turmoil that we found ourselves in. I think Herman did an incredible job. I don't know Sarkeesian on that personal level. Haven't seen it, but I hope he picks up those pieces, those successful pieces. And, and look, Herman left a much better culture than he, than he, than he inherited. Right. Like he took us from the worst stretch in, in, in literally in Texas football history. And, um, as much as I, I like Charlie strong as a human being, just took a, a team that had gotten used to losing. And at least now we're talking about one 10 win season and not enough wins. Right. And we were getting that, that swagger and hunger back. We just haven't gotten it completely. Um, so Sarkeesian, I think, has to pick up on those things that have been laid and build on them, but do it his own way, right? He, of course, needs to bring his own style, his own flair. You have to do it your way. You can't be, there's no faking this, right? You have to do it your own way. But I think he's equipped. I think his resume is great. I think his offense is unbelievable. That Alabama offense this year is literally 
one of the best offenses I've ever watched at any level of football. It's like I love watching Mahomes and Bienemy's, you know, Kansas City. I love watching Sark's Alabama. It's just fun, unbelievably good football. I won't get into the, the X's and O's, but there's a beautiful passing concept called Mills that's just simple. All the way back to the Steve Spurrier days, teams have been running it. Sark runs it incredibly well, and I, I think you're going to immediately see Texas football just start putting up some points. And I think that's part of the reason why they go this direction is that, you know, Tom Hearn was brought in to kind of be this offensive mastermind, to be the dude. Um, and, I, you know, there's a conversation to be had about whether or not a lot of that was like just Greg Ward being an elite kind of quarterback at, at that level. But um, you bring in a guy like Sarkeesian to, to really – take the offense to the next level. And I, there's this weird conversation happening on Twitter where it's like, well, Sark's offense is just good because of the players Alabama recruits. Well, one of the biggest knocks on Tom Herman is that this team is way too talented to only score like 28 points here, 20 points against Iowa state. Right. So like if the talent is there, then clearly the offense works and that we haven't really gotten a ton of word on the staff. It looks like um, Herb Hand, apparently, it, it seems like he tweeted a farewell. Um, Nancy McKnight and Jay Bulware also both reportedly out. That was first uh, reported by, I think, 247 Sports. Um, and then also 247 is reporting that Stan Drayton will likely be retained. So they're still putting together the staff. They've got to get it together quickly because we're a couple of weeks out from signing day, from the February signing period, and there's still some and high priority targets out there as well. So I think that's the other appeal of hiring a guy like Sark is that he's a guy that's got a lot of connections that are really good. He's he's a guy who's got NFL assistant coaching connections. He's got a, he's a guy who's got high end recruiter. The guy guys who, you know, in and we don't have sources and we're not going to put all the names out there because we're not sourcing it and we didn't report it. But if you are, if you know anything about the coaching rumors, the types of names that are being circulated around Steve Sarkeesian's staff right now are next level guys, are guys that will be able to not just recruit or not just develop, but they can do both. And they're the types of guys that, you know, we talk about locking down the state, whatever that means when you've got another power five power in your state, but they're guys that you don't get pantsed by AM on the offensive line, right? You don't lose all of the top offensive line commits to the other school in the state, right? You don't lose all of your top offensive talent in the state to Ohio state. So like these types of guys, like that's the, that's the staff. And again, there's a lot of questions still be had. And as those things come in, we'll obviously talk about them and report them. And we'll have, but like, when you look at the types of coaches and the types of staff that that this guy has to build, like I think that's the other. Because let's just let's just call a spade a spade here for a minute. Like Herman and Charlie Strong both kind of didn't do that, especially their first staff. Neither of them got it right the first go around. I really liked Herman's staff because they were guys that came from U of H with him. A lot of them came from Texas State with him when he was an assistant. Like, there's like four guys who came up through there, and I happened to know those guys from that time. So I had a personal affinity, but even I was like, what? You know what? You're Texas. You you can't. Like, what? Mac Brown kind of set the playbook of go get the single best 
coordinators, pay whatever you have to pay. If they go leave in a couple years to be head coaches or the Good. NFL, great. You did your job. Get get the next one. Um, and, and other you know big time schools, Alabama basically tried to copy the Mac Brown playbook of that. And you look at Nick Saban has taken it the next level. He gets eighty six of the best coaches in and his his uh, finishing reform school for. Uh, coaches who, who, who can't co- coach good no more um and and fixes them up but you know that's that's obviously his his tweak on it but yeah i mean it, this isn't new to texas and so it was odd i mean there is something to be said for for trusting but when you bring all your guys from louisville or you bring all your guys from u of h there is a question of well you know um i is that the best trust is worth a a ton but you know this is Texas, and you can go out and spend the money and have the cachet to get the absolute best, the elite. Um, and so, yes, it, we won't go into all the names, but the names that we're seeing are incredible. There's NFL um, from his time there ties. There's big, you know, Alabama obviously ties. There's just you know all the way back from his UW and USC days, some 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 big name uh, potential links there. So I think Sarkeesian is well set up and he, like you said, has the resume and the career that he knows a lot of these guys, but yeah, I mean, why not? He talked about it in his open press conference, how important having the best staff is. Cause as the head coach, you can only coach so many things, right? As a player, any player will tell you, you spend so much time with your position coach. It becomes family. You're hearing from them. You're soaking up, you're, you're at their feet. You are you're taking the gospel of that guy. If you're getting bad stuff, Man, there's only so much a head coach can do. He can try to put it all those pieces together. So it is so important, not just the head coach, but the or excuse me, the the uh, you know the coordinators on each side of the ball, but the the position coaches, the support staff underneath them, the you know the 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 analysts and the quality control and all those pieces that make up. I have good hopes for what Sark is going to do there, and I'm I'm honestly quite excited for the next couple of weeks as we see some of that trickle out. Yeah. So. He may be the CEO, which is, I think, a winning formula at Texas, but I also think he's the kind of guy who could call his own plays, and, and that probably will end up being yeah. the case. But that's either here nor there. But yeah. as the, the rumors uh, become reality and as those things shape up, we'll obviously report on them. Uh, we're going to have Mike Roach on in the next couple of weeks as well to talk about the recruiting impact of the changes and kind of where all of this goes from here. But we will keep you up to date on the Texas coaching search. So that's the part of the show where we try to get all the other stuff in that we didn't have time to talk about because of the massive weekend, and we down the 40. Any other week, this is leading story of the day, but we already kind of mentioned it because it leaked a little early, and you know, there's conversations to be had about whether or not that's cool. Um, but Sam Ellinger ha- announced officially via Twitter that he will forego his extra year of eligibility and head to the NFL. There are quarterbacks that maybe won more games than Sam Ellinger, but I don't think that wins and losses are a quarterback stat. That's another conversation for another day. He holds a school record for games with pass with a passing and rushing touchdown with 18, uh, games with 350 yards of total offense, 400 yards of total offense, 400 passing yards in games with five or more passing touchdowns. He's second behind one Colt McCoy in school history for completions, passing yards, total offense, passing touchdowns, total touchdowns responsible for, uh, and then rushing touchdowns by a quarterback is not Colt McCoy, but that's okay. Uh, and he's one of only three players in FBS history to throw for 11,000 career yards and rush for 1,500. One of three players in FBS history to throw for at least 90 touchdowns and rush for 30 Sam Ellinger has a complicated legacy, and we we have to acknowledge that. But when you look at a guy who 
represents your university for four years. Like that's the kind of dude that you want. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I said it in, in my kind of recap before the Alamo bowl game in case that was his last before we knew this was official. Um, you can spend the next 40 years reorganizing your, your Mount Rushmore um, of, of quarterbacks, but Sam Ellinger will be in that conversation. You, you can't, hold him out of there. And, and I also said he's a bit anachronistic for the modern spread offense. He feels like a throwback guy. If Sam Ellinger played for the Texas Longhorns under, you know, DKR, he would have fit in just fine. He, he's got the grit and the toughness and in the competitive spirit that he would have been elite in that era. If he would have played, you know, in, in the eighties and nineties, he would have been great. He, he would have been a good winning quarterback in any era. Like he is a gamer. He's a kid who, who is tough as nails, who, who, bled for the university hard on his sleeve he is a walking cliche generator right he is um first and foremost a forever longhorn he's a guy who will watch games it's funny to watch recent alums watch and say this is how it feels to be a fan sam for the next 50 60 years of his life will be a diehard fan of ut that's not going anywhere he's so bought in he's so a part of the culture will be forever um what i said in that same article was that um there's a thought of did we waste sam or the four years of having you know this quarterback did we not get the full potential could we have done more um with a kid who came in as a freshman and and right away kind of put his stamp and then especially from his sophomore year on was the guy did we waste that and i kind of feel the other way i shudder to think what if we didn't have that there was a dark ages of quarterback when we got utterly spoiled to transition from Vince to Colt, we forgot how hard it can be and how every school in the country after replacing an elite Heisman-level quarterback, which both Vince and Colt could have and should have um, won Heisman. So you have back-to-back Heisman quarterbacks. It is the hardest thing in sports to replicate that, right? NFL, you get to sign Drew Brees for 38 years. Tom Brady will take you to 27 consecutive Super Bowls. You can't have a kid stay for 10 years in college. At most, you get four out of him. He's going he's gonna to move on, and then you have to rejigger your entire feel, scheme, offense, culture, everything, because the quarterback is so important, especially today. It was tough. We saw that. David Ash was the closest thing, his injury, whatever. Sam steadied it. He gave us, whether he, again, is the prototypical, you know, sit in the pocket, throw it 50 times, elite accuracy to the edges, hashes, can make every throw on the field quarterback? I don't know. But he was good enough, could do enough things, and ultimately had that fourth quarter mentality, had that next level, next gear where he just made plays that will forever, forever just ring out in my ear. Tom Herman having four bowl wins has a lot to do with Sam Ellinger refusing to lose four bowl games. You know what I mean? Uh, his legacy is of a winner of a guy who, who is a Longhorn legend first and foremost, and then a good quarterback an elite quarterback, honestly um, after, but first and foremost, he's a Longhorn legend. That part has, has been known, you know, almost prophesied since he was the Prince that was promised. So as you as we think about the the legacy of, of Sam Ellinger, like I think it goes far beyond like wins and losses, right? You could say like he he again, OU was a bugaboo for him. One of four against OU, struggled against TCU, right? TCU was a weird like he was snake bit against Gary Patterson. I don't know what it was, but like when you when you think about a quarterback that's 
kind of having to and sometimes drag Texas out of the worst period that we've seen in recent memory. Like that's his legacy for me. It's like stability and just like somebody that regardless of what happens on the field, like I'm okay with him being the guy that, that is put next to the university of Texas. And that's, that's his legacy to me. Come back and be a coach one day, Sam. You just never leave UT in some capacity. Like, just just forever be a part of us. Absolutely. So, quickly, um, a guy who left that, that Alamo Bowl game early due to an injury, and this was, if this guy leaves the game, you know it's bad, and it turned out to be bad. Uh, but nose tackle to Vondre Sweat, um, who just completed a sophomore season on campus, is going to undergo shoulder surgery uh, because of that injury. So, he will be out for a little while, but it'll be obviously back for next year. And then we do have to talk about the ladies on the hardwood. Kyle, women's basketball continues to roll. Uh, they topped Iowa State 74 to 59. They got off to a slow start, but but rolled toward the end. They out-rebounded Iowa State 43 to 31. 22 second chance points off of 19 offensive boards and all five starters hit double figures our friend the jat 15 and four uh charlie collier did what charlie collier does 14 points 14 rebounds i like it which keeps it even uh charisma ortiz 14 points including four of six from the on the arc and then big 12 freshman of the week diana gatson uh 13 points and eight rebounds kira lambert brought it home with 10 points and seven assists a really solid outing from Coach Schaefer squad. Yeah, obviously Texas was just off the mark, couldn't quite get it done against Texas A&M, their only blemish. But this, I think, is their best win of the season. Um, they Iowa State was others receiving votes. Let's call them 28 or something in the country. They were just a few spots below UT, and they made it look like they were just such a superior, better coach, better, more talent, you know, better execution. They looked like Texas was a top 10 team, and this was, you know, a team who'd won three games. They legitimately just looked like a significantly better team in this one. And that's what you hope. That's what you hope Vic Schaefer brings is that separation. What we'll really see, it's, I was looking at the schedule, we have a little bit of time. So Texas can keep whittling that number like they've basically done every week. Um, they don't play Baylor until Valentine's Day, and then they play them again two weeks later. So there's going to be a really interesting end of February period where if Texas keeps this up and wins all the games they should, as I mean, I think the only uh, other Big 12 ranked team right now, um, there's a couple good ones for sure in there. Uh, Oklahoma State and, and um, West Virginia are both solid teams. But um, if they just keep beating everyone by the time they get to Baylor, this could be like a, a, a number two versus number you know 11 match up something like that and and you know they, they could be ready to shock the world we'll see i don't think year one was when we expected vic to be ready to do it but hey why not i love being ahead of schedule that's fun coach schaefer stay around forever so with that win texas moves up to number 17 in the ap poll and then some um you know some news that kind of we saw coming we knew will baker was out but he announced that he would be landing at nevada which is where um his ucla recruiter who texas beat out for it Ended up, and then Gerald Liddell announced that he will also be transferring. He had uh, started to see his minutes erode a little bit based upon what Texas has on the court currently. So, um, not all great on the hardwood, but at least uh, Texas has a lot of talent enough so that that five star guys are wanting to find elsewhere to go. When we said this was the deepest team in the country by a lot in the beginning of the season, you almost 
the writing on the wall is, is Shaka actually a magician? Is the hair that magic that he can balance all of those egos and high recruited players and none of like 13 deep of players who should be playing are going to transfer? I think everyone expected there would be one or maybe two. Hopefully this is the end of it. Um, but, you know, as they found their rotation, I understand why the guys who were on the outside looking in maybe, you know, didn't do that with Febris potentially still working back could could re-jigger uh, that calculation as well. And then it looks like Kamaka Hepa kind of, um, you know, effectively sitting back a year uh, as, as this doesn't count anyways. It's it's everyone eligibility and everything is is interesting going forward. But uh, I do wish both of those the best. Will Baker landing in, in Nevada and, and tweeting out like a three wolves equivalent um, wolf pack. I, I hope because Baker's actually a funny kid. I hope he just leans into the memes heavy. I'll keep following him on social media. I think that could be a good fit. That was who recruited him at UCLA is, is, is the guy out there at Nevada now. So makes sense. We'll see where Liddell lands the two things gerald quickly this breaks my heart because it's one less gerald associated with the 40 acres you are, you are now uh and forever the preeminent 40 acres uh burnt orange gerald and second gerald liddell steel high school s-u-c-i-s-d coached by my boy coach lonnie hubbard one of my mentors my uh, taught my sunday school and like i think he taught third and fourth grade sunday school my boy lonnie hubbard coached gerald liddell told me some big things for this kid i I hate that he never got to realize him at the 40 acres but again we'll be following his story wherever he ends up we're never the guys who'd be upset when athletes when athletes do what's best for them but that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics big birthday we bang the drum brought to you by joe ruiz so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week? I'll just say this, Gerald. You and I have tried to be measured. We've tried to be objective at all times. That's our journalism training kicking in. And when the news of Tom Herman being fired, we more were just curious. What was the reaction? What were people thinking? What were they saying? Um, obviously, a sampling of the fan base. Some split. Some people wanted to you know, give him more time. Some people wanted him gone seven weeks ago, you know. Not so much there, but it was interesting to look and see former players and players of the program and, and talk to some people who, who formerly played for the program. And, and you know, it, from the time Mac left until now, Sark, it was a rough couple years with Charlie and, and Tom for all kinds of reasons. But watching the player reaction, the, the, the alums, the former players um, kind of I don't want to say dance on graves, but there was some elation with woohoo. I can be a Longhorn fan again. Now does bring some things into question, right? That type of negative energy towards a university is not really common for UT. You always have bad eggs. You have people whose, whose career doesn't pan out um, at UT for whatever reason, who, who don't have the rosy experience that you and I had where we just, you know, bleed the burn orange. But um, it, it, it it might be a little indicative. And, and again, I'm not here to to urinate on said grave that's been danced on uh, of Tom Herman because that's not who I am. And I don't think that's really what's warranted. But I think it does say something that this many players and obviously Deshaun Elliott had a very, very close relationship with, with Charlie Strong. And I'll leave it at that. Um, you know, has been very vocal and one of the most kind of consistently vocal, even though he was an All-American technically under Tom Herman. Um, but you know, seem to have some feelings and I've heard some, some conversations and stories about why that might be, but, uh, seemed elated. Uh, Chuck Omenu, a guy we love and, and talk about a lot on the podcast. Um, similarly, they seem to kind of be talking amongst themselves about, uh, 
being happy for whoever is next, like not even for Sark, just for a change. Um, I think I saw Paul Boyette, maybe Reggie Hempel maps who we've never heard that full story of what happened with him and how weird that was kind of came out and, and said, ah, I can, can enjoy Texas again, you know? Um, and, 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 you know, multiple, right. I won't go into a list exhaustively of Chris Warren and Brandon Hodges and anyone and everyone. Um, but it then came out uh, that, it wasn't just kind of this negative energy from players who'd recently left, but that there may have actually been negative recruiting going on. I think a story that got out pretty regularly was Jaden Woodbay, a four-star defensive back from Florida state who chose Boston college over Texas, which seemed kind of odd. Um, It came out directly that when folks talked to him, that he heard that there were players saying, don't come here, not, Hey, don't take my spot. Don't come here. But like, Hey, don't come here. And a, that needs to be rooted out. That can't be a part of our culture. But B, if it is, you have to ask yourself, is that the reason? Is that really the main reason? And Crystal Conte said as much that when that came to light, all of a sudden a, you know, decision became a, you know, a finality. He he, he was done, right? And, and that's really tough. I hate that for Herman. But if there was something that caused that, obviously opposing recruiters have been negative recruiting literally against Texas during his whole tenure. And Tom sets himself up. His personality lends itself to that. He is out there. He never hid the fact that he's a smart guy and you set yourself up when you tell everyone how smart you are for them to take any shot available. So I pray that coach Sark gets a clean start. We wipe the slate clean. We start over, we build this thing up, you know, Take take the the positivity of Mac and Charlie and what they did best and and you know the 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 the, the ground kind of foundation of DKR and build your own thing out of it. Like I said earlier, but you know um, let's move out of this sense of negativity where it's coming internal, external. You know, let the haters hate, but our own guys. Let's let's be good enough that we have nothing to be negative about. To respond to yours, all I want to say is that where's Demarco Cobbs when you need him? Where where is that man? If you don't know that story, Google it because. Oh boy, that man is one of my favorite Longhorns for uh, a couple of reasons, but that's one of them. So I'm, I'm banging the drum this week on two quick things. One, if you're not following De- uh, DeMarvian Overshone on Twitter, Agent Zero is his Twitter handle, and that dude is hilarious, and I love his personality. But I'm really banging the drum this week on something that I saw on social media that I really hope doesn't continue, but I know absolutely will. And that is kind of joking about um, our new head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, and his personal struggles and issues. We didn't really talk about it much. Um, but if you don't know, um, he has battled addiction uh, while he was coaching at Washington and USC that actually led to his eventual dismissal at USC. And I'm, I'm just going to say this. There are many people in this world that have never been close to or dealt with somebody who's dealing with addiction. And so it's not a value judgment on you as a person. But what I'll say is that making jokes about addiction is not cool. There are people that you would never know that are dealing with addiction. And I, I, I was blessed to have been um, a pastor for several years in, in a previous life. And I, I, I got humbled that people actually asked me and allowed me to walk side by side with them through these things. And these are people that one bad break here or there, you know, and a lot of us could be in those same shoes. These are real people with real issues. And, you know, if all of our dirt was out there in public, it would be terrible for us. And so again, like as, as we all try to rally behind this coach and support this coach, like let's keep that in mind because it's going to be hard enough being the coach of the university of Texas, but millions of people 
making jokes about the darkest period of your life is not great. And uh, I'll close with a, with a quote from Mitch Hedberg, one of my favorite comedians of all time. Um, he says, alcoholism is the only disease people get mad at you for having. Let's support. Let's let's be the shining beacon on a hill that we can be and really rally behind this coach. And let's not make light of a very serious thing. Man, Gerald, that's so good. That's such a perfect thing to end on. You're right. I had multiple dozens of people texting me. No one joked about it, but everyone asked about it. Everyone was curious. Do I think he'll handle the pressure? And like I said, I, you and I and no one except him, his family, those closest, those he's allowed in, have an insight into his recovery. Recovery is nonlinear. You're not just good. You're not just better. It's not just, oh, Texas, now you can't handle it. You're no good. Oh, here, you're good. It, it isn't that. It is such a personal and, and imperfect and incredible journey. I've dealt with people very, very close to me who've struggled and gone through the ups and downs and cycles of addiction. And, and, it, and it is an unbelievable, all-consuming, relentless force. I'm going to help you out if you are one of those people. And I hope our listeners are not those people. But if you are one of those people, here's the joke that you want to make instead. Cher's last name is Sarkeesian. They aren't actually related. But the jokes write themselves. Sarkeesian, Steve, Sarkeesian, Cher. Go ahead, run with it. But leave that stuff alone. No one should joke about that. There's a humanity there. And, and Gerald always does the best job of putting his finger on the pulse of the, the human element to these stories. And I think I am so ready for Sark to just crush it here and have that 30 for 30 or, or E60 or whatever. And, and maybe not Tom Rinaldi now, but if Bob Lay comes back and voices it over, I'm ready to shed big old giant tears about how awesome the story is when he, you know, that becomes a part of his, his success narrative is how he turned it around and got to Texas and won three national championships. You know, that, that thing I'm ready for, uh, for that to be made. So yeah, exactly. Let's all lift him up and, and lift this program up. And like we both kind of said, Let's let's envelop it in positivity. What if I told you that a man who was on the losing side of history in 2005 would return to the place where it all happened and rewrite history? Boom, there's your 30 for 30 when Steve Sarkeesian wins a national championship playing at the Rose Bowl. And Longhorn Network will play that thing right after the one they make about Shaka Smart's hair, leading them to a national championship and call it Shaka Samson. So I, I'm excited for all of these 30 for 30s coming up. Well, on that note, that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet oh you can follow me on twitter at kyle carpenter you can also follow the texas pregamer at texas pregamer you can follow me on twitter i'm at gh goodrich follow the show on twitter at longhorn pod follow us on facebook the longhorn republic instagram under the same name you can also shoot us an email longhorn republic pod at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in again today and we'll see you back on thursday and until then all gas no brakes one more time okay cool welcome okay,